BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm recording. Kate, are you good to go? Yes, good to go. Okay, great. Josh, whenever you're ready, I can count us in. All right. Three, two, one. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. This is our third episode when we are uh, doing this remote. I, I was just thinking this morning that this is th- this is two weeks since we as an organization have been have been all on remote work. And when we started this, it sort of seemed like, oh, you know, kind of ahead of the curve. You know, right. you think that's an ex- you know, you think that's overdoing it or something, you know, having everybody working remote and obviously uh, things have things have moved pretty rapidly since then. The whole uh, large sections of the country. I actually saw a um, I, I was seeing this this statistic that something like, you know, a significant portion of the global population is under some kind of lockdown right yeah. now. Right. Was, India. I, India just announced their population of like 1.3 billion people is basically locked down. So it's funny. I, I I have this sense that the number I heard was like 1.3 billion, but it has to be a lot more than that, because most of Europe is on lockdown. No, I'm a talking about just. United... Ind- I'm just talking about just India alone. Yeah. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So so clearly, if if all of India is on a yeah. lockdown, and that's 1.3 billion, a significant amount of China is still mm-hmm. in some kind of lockdown, although they're opening things up. Mm-hmm. A lot of the U.S. It 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 seems like it must be. Um, something closer to a third or maybe even approaching half of the world mm-hmm. population. Obviously, yeah. lockdown can mean a lot of different things. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's all these crazy things that one thinks about. I mean, one of the indifferent... Everybody has in their life big events, disasters that you've been close to, had some proximity to. And you think about later, you'll tell people about it. Oh, here's what it was like. <laughs> Who are you going to tell about this, right? Everybody in the world is experiencing this. Now, obviously, some people are experiencing this in, in, in much more grievous and acute ways than we, at least for now, are, are experiencing it. But it's a, weird, it's a weird thing to think this is happening to the entire mm-hmm. human species at the moment. Um, and certainly it's happening in a particular way to everybody who is connected in some sense to news throughout the world, which is most of the world population, obviously not all. Um, in any case, let, let's quickly get through. I want to remind you that Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall podcast. And I was actually uh, talking to Grady this morning. Um, How's he doing? You know, the, he he's he's doing okay. Um, they are on basically sort of a skeleton crew production at their at their location in the Bronx, and they're allowed to keep going because they're a food and beverage manufacturer. That's critical. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that doesn't come under the, the all the stand down kind of things. So that is great. And he uh, told me that they are continuing to do, um, you know, they're, they're shipping throughout the United States. Um, and you can get the, you know, the, the, uh, bean in the bag or the, uh, you know, the box with the, with, you know, you buy the liquid, the bottles, right. whatever. So in any case, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of, uh, playing everything by ear, but, uh, it is a great product and you should be supporting everybody, all the businesses that you care about and, and and would like to support in, in a moment like this. Doesn't just totally. apply to Grady's, but obviously uh, Grady's as well. So you can go to Grady'sColdBrew.com uh, and you can order it there and you can also order it by Amazon and all that kind of stuff. In any case, right. uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee, sponsored Josh Marshall Podcast. They're still up and running. It's a great product. Um, and, you know, you're not going to be hitting coffee shops for a <laughs> while, right. probably. So, Well, I was going to say, it's more important than ever before because... I went to the 7-Eleven on our block to get coffee this morning, and everyone in there was in suit, like hazmat suits wow. and masks, and uh, were kind of like buds with the cashier. And he came out, and he was like, apparently, someone in there was like coughing mm. a lot. So now they've shut everything down or scrubbing everything, and it. I don't know. It's uh, you know, what is safe and what is not safe is gonna is gonna vary a lot in in depending yeah. on where you are. So everybody, be safe. Um, support, especially small businesses that that you can mm-hmm. support in your area. Um, and again, obviously, whether that means ordering things to be delivered or curbside pickup, you need to you need to make that decision depending on what thing, what's going on in in, in your area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's it. So uh, yeah, Grady's cold brew iced coffee. All right, right, let's get down to yeah. let's get down to business of, of global uh, <laughs> epidemic disaster. So yeah, I wanted, I wanted to start by talking about New York and New York City specifically. And there's a tendency in the media to over-focus on New York. Obviously, this is the, you know, basically the, I mean, it's the, the center of the United States economy. Basically, it's the biggest city in the country. And, you know, beyond that, every major news organization is based here. So when things impact the New York metro area, it just gets disproportionate coverage. But in the cases of coronavirus, it's also the <laughs> epicenter of the of the pandemic. And so we've seen just before we got on online to record the podcast, Andrew Cuomo is giving another update on his state's response and the number of cases. And, you know, as recently as yesterday and even through today, I mean, he's been painting a pretty dire picture of the situation here, right? The state, I think, has something like 50,000 hospital beds uh, available to it. They need twice that, more than twice that amount, I think up to 140,000 beds. So they're asking hospitals to increase capacity twofold, at least. Um, we well, I, have think had- what, I, I think what they... Until the new data that came out starting about 36 hours ago, the idea was that they would, the state would need 100,000 beds. They have 50,000 beds. They gave an order. Basically, everybody has to get up to 50% of what they can do now, i.e., so then you get statewide up to 75. Mm-hmm. And then everything you can do to do 100%. Which would get the state up to a hundred if every you know every hospital right. did it, and then we had the new numbers that came out 
again about 36 hours ago that said, you know what, it's worse than we thought, and we're going to need that to be 140,000. So it's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a. Um, so it sucks. It's, <laughs> it's really it's a bleak, bad. It's yeah. a bleak situation, and on top of this, we've had President Trump kind of publicly butting heads with Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, and some reporting overnight that suggests basically if governors who are presiding over states with large numbers of cases, we're talking about California, Washington State, New York, if you're not nice to Trump, basically you might find yourself short uh, several thousand ventilators or maybe your phone calls aren't going to get answered. Josh, what have you sort of what tell us more about that whole situation? And you were kind of going off on Twitter this morning about maybe the federal government could want some bagels in exchange for some critical health supplies. But kind of tell, run us through what, this, what the deal is here. Well, it should be obvious to everyone. The states, you know, again, the states don't really exist as a thing. They're just an administrative division in a country. Um, but whether you're talking about the p- individual people or the states, Trump clearly sees what he is and what he's in control of as he owns the country. He owns the government and if you want him to do you a favor, you should be nice to him. You know, if if we were all running out of food and there was one guy at the end of the block who had a huge stockpile, you'd, you'd be nice to him, right? I mean, you'd say like, hey, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever whatever disagreements we had in the past, uh, you know, I hope we can put that behind us because we really need the food. Mm -hmm. But obviously that's not really what's happening here. Donald Trump is someone we've hired to run things and, and it's not his food. And, and, but clearly he does not see it that way. And, you know, we have already seen over three years repeatedly that he sees what he's doing as protecting his people his core voters, um, you know, the states that support him and stuff like that. We've, we, we've seen this in, uh, in trade policy where, you know, kind of people he sees as key supporters, you know, farmers and agricultural states, he's basically just going to kind of pour money on them to offset the, you know, the, the impacts of his, of his trade policy. And um, so we, we've, we've seen this this approach, this way he sees his job, the way he sees things, a lot. This is, it's nothing new. It just, it, 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 it just becomes a lot more dramatic when it's like, do you need the ventilators? You know, the ventilators that will stop people from gasping t- to death, t- from asphyxiating, because they have this thing. So it is really, it's criminal, the level of stuff we are talking about. It is true that the country probably does not have enough altogether to help everybody, but I think it is very clear at this point that the president has been slow, bartering. Um, you know, he, he doesn't like the blue states, and so he's just not in a rush but to help us. I think that's true, and I think... You know, you could almost see it. You could see this coming from the beginning of his presidency, right? Because most presidents, you know, when they kind of take the helm, at least start out from the perspective of, you know, I'm president of everyone, not just the people who voted for me. And, you know, Trump has never taken that tack. But I think kind of what you're laying out, Josh, was 
really clear to me when I was reading the transcript of the call the White House had with a bunch of governors. Um, And, you know, there were some like ridiculous details that came out about Trump's behavior during the call afterwards. You know, people were saying that he was getting tired by the end and trying to make the governors like rush their pleas for help along. But I was reading it particularly because in Louisiana, um, New Orleans is basically exploding with coronavirus cases. And so um, Governor John Bell Edwards sent the White House a plea for help, um, for aid, uh, you know, said that they have right now about 1,200 cases and they have 381 available ICU beds. He predicted that New Orleans will be, their hospital capacity will be overwhelmed by April 4th, which is basically in a week. Um, But, you know, you read the transcript of the call and all of them have to do the same kind of stuff, the same, you know, dear leader, you've been doing a great job, you know, just want to put out there, my state is dying. So, you know, if you could throw us a few bucks, that would be helpful. Now, did he react differently? Because that's a case where it's a it's a red state, but it has a right. Democratic governor. So what was his reaction like to Bell Edwards? I mean, he kind of he I would say there it wasn't very revelatory what he said. It was kind of, oh, what was that second request? Okay, I hear you. Gotcha. Moving on. Next governor list to get through. Um, but yeah, and I spoke to Bill Edwards' office, and his spokeswoman said that um, they hadn't heard back from the White House as of yesterday. They sent the letter on Monday, but she actually said that they expect him to approve, um, you know, the kind of emergency declaration they're trying to get their state put under, which unlocks aid for them. But she said she expects it because he already okayed it for places like California, which is kind of telling with what you're saying, Josh, like, oh, he already gave it to this other place that he hates. So our red state is probably good to go, notwithstanding that the epicenter is, you know, the blue bastion and in Louisiana. Right. Well, it is, it, it, it is a funny thing because I mean, again, it's, it's, um, you know, is it is it a does he like them or not? Right. You know, they're a red state, but they elected a Democratic right. governor, and and you have, uh, um, you know, you have states like uh, you know, I never know how to pronounce it, Bashir, Bashar, you know, mm. the uh, governor of Kentucky, Democrat, you know, um, very, uh, very red state, extremely red state in national politics, but a Democratic governor, um, and and. This is something that I have noticed because I, as as many people have been, um, I've been watching the Cuomo press conferences uh, very closely every day, and he has had moments where, and and this is and it's been the same with Gavin Newsom in California. Um, they've had moments when they've been somewhat critical. You know, they're begging for federal aid. But they have also gone out of their way, you know, thank you so much for the for these hospitals. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for that. And, um, you know, even in, even in a even in a normal situation, let me put it this way, even in a crisis with a normal president, it still makes sense. You know, thank you for getting us this. You know, great. You know, you, you moved it ahead, all that stuff. It's not that it's it's. You know, acknowledging assistance is great, but it's clear they have been forced to make this calculus of this guy sucks. This guy is is at best dragging his feet to give us critical assistance that will mean life or death for individuals right now. And yet, 
as me as a governor, I need to do what I I need to do everything I can for my state population. And right now, that means really doing everything I can to be nice to this guy and not get him mad at me. And that, and that is just, I, I, I don't know what kind of reckoning will, will be possible, will come, but it is just, it's, it's bad at a level that is, that is um, it, beyond anything that I have any experience with in, in, certainly in my lifetime in U.S. politics and maybe ever. You know, look, it's not, it, 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 this is happening around the world. It's not like Trump created this virus and a lot of people were going to die regardless. Mm-hmm. But it is one thing people die. It's another thing because some people are going to die because of this guy's ego right. and his power trip well, and the fact that he's really just like a sociopath. A really interesting offshoot of kind of what you're saying is... Um, I was reporting on the Liberty University thing yesterday, which is that basically Jerry Falwell has staked out his position of support for Trump translates to an actual quote he said earlier this week is that Democrats are fanning or the media is fanning the flames of this to ruin the economy because they do anything to hurt Trump kind of deal. So they're welcoming thousands of students back onto campus after spring break, whereas, you know, nationwide colleges have pretty much closed down for the rest of the academic year, sent the students to do virtual learning from their parents' houses or whatever. Um, And, you know, Falwell was just, it was as if not taking coronavirus seriously is a mark of your loyalty to Trump, is basically how he was construing it, which is as insane as that is it's just i mean in falwell's case he is willing to be the reason that some of i mean if this goes through so many of his students are going to get sick like some of them will probably die and this he's still expecting faculty to report to campus and do office hours um not to mention the people who live in you know lynchburg virginia around the university and for all Falwells, you know, all these these kids are young, you know, they're not at risk. It's first of all, you have no idea who's got underlying issues. But aside from that, okay, so your young, not at risk students are gonna go walk around the neighborhood where older at risk people live. Um so I think the movement of demonstrating your loyalty to Trump in this case means willingly not taking a pandemic seriously and putting people who you're in charge of in this case students directly in the line of danger you know I was just so stunned when I was just reading it and his brazenness and his you know he was talking on a a radio show about the spring breakers that everyone's been talking about you know how these young kids are still going to the beach and you know clubs are just kind of ignoring social distancing and he just basically chuckled and was like oh well everyone's invincible at that age you know it was just horrific (laughs) yeah and obviously there's another kind of related theme emerging which is trump saying the cure can't be worse than the problem and the problem being coronavirus and the cure being obviously the extreme social distancing the closing of restaurants and non-essential businesses Mm -hmm. And there's just this emerging idea that's kind of gaining steam on the right that we need to get back to work. And Trump wants to reopen the economy by Easter and have churches packed on Easter Sunday and all this, you know, Fox News, uh, Bill Hemmer, who's not like one of the diehard 
Uh, he used to be prim- on CNN. I mean, he's prim- not he prime time guys. Through, yeah, yeah, through kind of real he, news. I mean, maybe he was, he was like, oh, yeah. he was saying, oh, it would be a great American resurrection when the economy gets oh, back God. going on Easter, and you know, Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor of Texas, went on Tucker Carlson's show this week to say, oh, people like me, we'll take care of ourselves and. You know, people would people should be willing to get back out there in order to save the economy for our grandchildren. Glenn Beck yesterday, I think, you know, he's diminished as a, I guess, important person to listen to just in general. But, um, you know, he said he'd basically be willing to die in order to, like, rescue the economy. It's just this kind of that's insane. insane. <laughs> like, insane the economy is this, like, golden calf icon that people are like, you should be willing to lay down your life to save the stock market. Like, what? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a very weird thing because, uh, you, you know, people mean a lot of different things when they talk about the economy. You know, the economy, I mean, some people, it means the stock market, which is just like, you know, who cares about, you you know, people's like equities portfolios. It also means people having jobs and being able to buy food and, 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 you know, really basic things that do have real, I mean, in, in that sense, the economy is just everybody's collective livelihood. Right. Um, and, and as is always the case, um, certain people are much more vulnerable than others. People who are fairly well off, they cannot have much income for a while and they have, you know, reserves and stuff like that. And other people immediately can't pay the rent, immediately can't buy food and stuff like that. It's, it's, and it is true that extreme economic shocks not only affect people's, you know, livelihood in a money sense, it affects people's lives. Right. You know, those things, people don't go to doctors, people, um, you know, there are all sorts of knock-on effects. And so, but it is just silly to have this thing about it, to to pretend that there is that there's some sort of like binary opposition. Mm-hmm. So, oh, everybody just go out and die for the economy. Well, <laughs> th- that doesn't make sense. Exactly. You know, the, the economy actually will not thrive if you have a, a non-trivial percentage of the population dying or being, you know, gasping for breath in hospitals. And even one thing people don't talk about is a lot of people who survive this after being intubated and being on ventilators, they will not go back to being just normal. A lot of people will have permanent health damage, permanent lung capacity damage. So just, it, it, it's, it's, it's so obscene at so many different levels. Um, and, and you do wonder about, um, you know, what are some of these people thinking? Because quite a few people who are making this argument are actually not young, Mm -hmm. right? Totally. I mean, Dan Patrick, the guy who, you know, really kind of poured fuel on the fire is a 69-year-old man, you know? He's clearly in the higher risk category. Yeah, and and a lot, you just just see how um, people, and I, and, and uh, you, you see how people build a discourse, a dialogue mm-hmm. that is just separated from any real thing. I'm not seeing these people act actually like, okay, yeah, 
I'm going to go work as an orderly in, a, in an ER without, without any of my, because I'm, I'm sure they need help. You know, if you really feel that way, you can, you know, you don't need Trump's permission <laughs> to jump into the fray. It, it's right. just, it, it's just an example of how people's ideology can really get them to say not just dangerous things, but just crazy things crazy. and things that I have no doubt they have no intention of putting into effect right. for themselves. Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, something that's maybe I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this, Josh. Obviously, Trump can't just tell Andrew Cuomo or Jay Inslee or any governor in this in the country to basically reopen for business. It's not his decision. Obviously, he can have guidelines and rules that he's recommending and the White House sends out. But um, these decisions have been made on the state and city level. You know, Andrew Cuomo has a program called Pause. That's essentially a shelter in place order for the state in all but name. Um, you know, other places are doing the same. What if Trump really does say on Easter Sunday, which I guess is what, in like nine or 10 days, everyone's back to normal. I mean, he can't actually really do much of anything in that sense, right? I mean, what can he actually do on Easter Sunday other than just kind of send out a tweet or uh, go on Fox News or whatever? Well, that that's the short answer is nothing. You know, the the president, you know, here, this is where you get into um, a, a lot of territory that has not been that is not, you know, a lot of a lot of powers that have not been put to use. But I think the president would have fairly in an emergency, which obviously we're in, the president would have fairly broad powers to shut things down. He has virtually no powers to stand things up, right? He, he, he can, again, I don't know exactly which authority it would be under, but again, the president has some pretty scary powers in a, in a, in a national emergency. Um, but he, so again, he could shut things down. He could unshut whatever he's shut by some sort of federal decree. But everything that's shut down now is shut by governors, so he can't do anything about that. Um, it's a sort of a funny quirk of how our system works. Having said that, though, he could, you know, as we're seeing with the ventilators, he has a lot of powers of persuasion. Um, but my 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 biggest sense um, from yesterday was this is some sort of alternative dialogue. Like, it's pretty clear from the sort of the totality of what we heard yesterday from the federal government that they're not opening anything up on, on, on Easter. That's not happening. Um, and But that doesn't mean it doesn't matter that he's saying it, because clearly he's sending a message to lots of people that we're, we've, we've got this pretty much handled and it's, you know, we're almost lights at the end of the tunnel. Um, but it's it's just one of the persistent realities of the Trump presidency that you have kind of what's really happening and then these sort of alternative dialogues that are ha that are coming from him and you watch as everyone around him sort of massages things to kind of do something different than what he is saying you know in a sense we saw that with um, we have seen this you know seems like a different a different world but we saw this with with the U.S. policy towards Russia and Ukraine, where on the one hand, he's clearly in the pocket 
for whatever reason, of Vladimir Putin. And he's always saying how great Putin is. He hates Ukraine. And yet the, the, the government apparatus is doing something different. And one of the things we saw with what got him impeached is where he kind of started getting in and, 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 and uh, you know, crossing those wires. And here we just have the same thing, but at a wildly more consequential level. So I don't, I don't even think he's going to try. Again, it's just this, it's this alternative reality that he pushes. And then it's just, then it's down to um, the people who, in his government, who, who suck themselves, right? It's not like they're great. They're just not as horrible as he is, right? And so they are, on the one hand, they are both managing the crisis response, and they're also managing his nonsense. And they kind of need to manage both. Right. Um, and that's just something persistent in this administration just is a lot more horrific when you're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's become a, it's be, that what you're talking about, Josh, I think has become clear during these daily White House task force briefings where Trump, Vice President Pence get up in front of the in front of the microphones and cameras in the briefing room and and Trump does a kind of a victory dance. And then you see Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, two kind of infectious disease and medical professionals who are on the task force, try to temper expectations and sort of say, yeah, Easter, okay, we're going to have to be very flexible about that date. And basically in real time, kind of tried to clean up what Trump is saying. I mean, one thing that kind of worries me and you know, that I've been thinking about is that, like you say, Josh, we've been basically working remotely for two weeks here at TPM. Uh, it's really only been about a week that these kind of more extreme measures have been in place. And obviously it's been frustrating and difficult to some extent just to be cooped up in small apartments and all that. But really we are in the early days of this situation. It's going to get a lot harder just personally. It's going to get harder economically. And we're already talking about, let's open things back up. Let's let's get back to work. And it's been like not even two weeks, really. I don't know. It just concerns me that we're already at this point. And, you know, the hard part hasn't even really come. Uh, Andrew Cuomo was talking about the apex in New York being like 21 days away, a couple weeks to three weeks when, you know, shit could get really real in uh, in the New York area. And so just what is the messaging going to be like when that happens? You know, I mean... Trump talking about Easter, that's about when we're talking about the the peak in New York. So, Well, I also think what you're saying, DT, is also part of what Trump can control. That's the scariest to me is because him setting the tenor that this is not a big deal, that it will be over in a week or two. Like, I almost understand where this impulse is coming from because it's really hard to tell people you need to shut down your life for the foreseeable future. There's no hard end date. You can't go outside. If you do, it's going to get worse. I mean, that's hard to tell people. But, you know, Trump just making it out. I mean, the the narrative coming from him for a lot of this was it's going to be gone any day. Don't have to worry about it if you're young. This is just going to be a problem for old people. You know, and like that has changed kind of in recent days. And now he's clinging more to like, oh, yeah, this miracle drug will probably work. Even as Fauci just, you know, stepped back from the podium and was like, there is no miracle drug kind of thing. But, you know, to some degree that does trickle down like the 
the attitude and the concern you sense from your leaders bleeds into how seriously people take it. And as of now, when there are hardly any tests, most of us don't know anyone who has it. Most of us only know NBA players or like Tom Hanks, you know, because right now you have to be rich and famous to be tested, essentially. And so I think it can be also hard to live under such draconian limitations when it hasn't really touched most of our lives yet, which is kind of, I think, what you're saying, DT, which is why it can be like Trump's idea now we can open by Easter. Maybe people are like, well, yeah, I mean, none of my friends or family have it. Can't be that widespread. Um, When really, like, the serious people in authority are saying kind of what we're doing right now is what we need to do for this not to become even more cataclysmic you know it's not like we're doing this now so everything's everything will be fine it's the difference between something we are able to ride out and something or some you know follow italy's model and have it just be devastating right it's like worst case scenario or slightly less worse case scenario yeah i mean it's it's uh, in new york we already are in it in an italy type situation Mm -hmm. i think unfortunately that's that is clear um, we're at the we're still kind of at the front end of it, but I think that is unfortunately sort of baked in. How many cases at, in at, New York at, at this point? Do you know? uh, like in New York part? City? Yeah. Uh, in the state, it's on, over just, two. It's over twenty five thousand in the state. Um, more, that was yeah, yesterday. I believe so it's. Was like, I believe it's fourteen thousand. Um, hold on. Let me let me actually bring it up and see if they've updated. Um, no, they haven't. Um, and a lot of those cases, at least in the city, yeah. like half the cases are be- people who are between like the ages of 20 and 40. And um, I mean, this idea that it only affects old people or there's no risk if you're young, I mean, it's totally a misnomer and, and pretty, I don't know, sobering to see. Right. Well, I think that's yeah, it, the issue of like, you probably won't die from it has morphed into you'll be fine. You know, like no one ever said that. Even if you're young and have no underlying health conditions, like yeah, coronavirus probably won't kill you. That doesn't mean it won't hospitalize you or make you seriously sick. Yeah, the only the only people who seem to have it it, it does seem true that people under 20 really rarely get seriously sick and when I say seriously sick I, I don't just mean like on a ventilator mm-hmm. I mean even needing to be hospitalized right, right. but that's people under 20 kids kids and and even 20 is sort of gets a little you know ballpark um, for those of us who have children it's some it's some limited saving grace that you know uh, your 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 tweens you can be pretty confident they will not um, you know be endangered themselves but it is been a hundred percent clear from the very beginning that lots of people in their 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s they get this they absolutely get this when you're lucky it's just like you know kind of like a bad flu and it's it sucks but you're not in great danger you're not gasping for air but it's absolutely true that 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 young people get this and a certain percentage of them get very critically ill and some of those people are people who are the picture of health and they are um you know you know they're in their 30s or certainly in their 40s um it you know the the, the whole the whole idea i mean it was really weird like 
we were kind of having this weird people were were pushing this weird sort of debate like a week ago well are millennials you know millennials have have already gotten the short end of the stick are they really gonna kind of like you know is is it fair to ask them to 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 not go to work for a, a while just to save these older people and like dude like a that is a pretty morally questionable <laughs> conversation to be having to start with yeah. but it's also factually questionable yeah there was a young people I saw an, absolutely get sick i saw an article circulating the other day that was like millennials if you can't stay home for old people stay home for yourself yeah i mean there is there is i'm not going to mention the person's name but there is one person um i mean it's it's been public it's out on twitter he this person has was even tweeting about it so it's not like this is private information but i don't you, you know you leave it to the person to decide uh, to, to what level of publicity but there's one person in, in, in the New York journalism sort of world who is, I think, in his mid-40s. Um, he was tweeting about having it. And then uh, three or four days ago, it came out. Now he's on a ventilator in a hospital in New York City, right? And, and hope for the best, uh, you know, uh, pray for him. And, and I think statistically, it seems like he will probably be okay. I know nothing about what the situation is right now for that person, but this is someone in their forties, right? Got it. Now they're on a ventilator. I mean, and, you it's, know? and that's it. Sounds gruesome too. Like I was on um, a press call about mail-in voting procedures, and Amy Klobuchar was on it, and her husband was hospitalized this week, and she was. I think, for the greater awareness, kind of running everyone through what his symptoms were. Um, and it wasn't just like coughing up blood. Coughing up blood, yeah, like it's very dire things. Um. And I think he is. My understanding is is that his current situation, he's in the hospital on oxygen, which is not the same as being on a ventilator. Right. That just means they're giving you a higher percentage of oxygen. You know, you kind of see. We've all seen someone's in the hospital and they've got that thing kind of the in their nostrils. Where yeah. yeah, where they're so giving, you know, a higher percentage of oxygen just to take. You know, take some of the burden off the off the um, uh, off the you know off your breathing, and so he doesn't seem like he's you know so far not in an acute situation. Um, but those, I mean, one of the scary things about this about this illness is that people can be for a while in the oh just kind of a bad you know bad flu it sucks but i'm you know at home watching tv kind of thing and then suddenly they're in an emergency room and 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 lucky if they get a ventilator so it's it's scary well and that's i think the thing too is like part of you doesn't want to cling to these individual cases because who knows what people have got going on but on the other hand it's just there are so many unknowns in this situation which makes it so scary that every time at least for me you know i hear an anecdotal story about a young healthy person who's doing desperately poorly you know it makes you feel like this disease is like an avenging angel you know everyone it touches it's gonna fell and you know that's not the truth but it's hard to know exactly how bad it is and again we still have a shortage of tests there's still you know and medical professionals of course are like scrambling to understand it and it's a virus so it can change and everything else but i just think it's it's hard to fully get a grasp on what exactly we're staring down right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been taking my temperature basically every day. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and you also you also learned that your temperature varies <laughs> totally, even when you're fine, right? You know, that's right. It crept up to like ninety nine point one a couple of days ago, and I was like, oh, here we go. And then, yeah, the next day it was ninety eight point six, and I've been I've been fine since. But yeah, you become very aware of all of your symptoms and all of the sensations in your body, kind of just because anything out of no anything out of normal does feel like potentially symptomatic and i don't know it's also allergy season so there's coughs and sneezes not, and all that stuff not a great time for the hypochondriatic among us certainly <laughs> <laughs> yeah so well, yeah you're right it, you just it, don't know i think we should we should just leave people with or not leave at least on this topic that it is it remains true that for people who are under 65 especially under 60 um that a the percentage of people who get ill enough to need to be hospitalized at all is relatively low, 10%, 15%, something like that. Um, probably lower as you get down the age, you know, as you get down the age spectrum. And the number of people who, who, who die is still quite low in statistics statistical terms, but kind of like most of us weren't figuring there was any chance we were going to die in the next few months, right? Mm -hmm. So everything is everything is relative. So I think it is important for people to know that young people defined here as, again, under 65, under 60, no underlying conditions, the overwhelming percentage of those people are not going to have bad, bad outcomes. Overwhelming percentage. You know, you're talking about... Uh, a few percentage points, people who, God forbid, will die or end up in a bad situation in the, in, in, in the hospital. But to Kate's point, it is true that, A, you don't always know that you might have some underlying vulnerability that, that didn't really matter until now. And there is just random chance. Some young, healthy people, for reasons we don't totally understand, um, it goes very badly for, and that is, that's, that's scary for all of us. And, um, you know, it, my only point is I think it's important for everybody to maintain some balance that the horror stories really get your attention. I mean, I'm 51, I'm older than you guys, believe me, they get my attention. Um, but it is important to both see those horror stories, but also think about the broader, you know, the broader realities and, and, but it's, it's not a normal situation where we can say like, oh, you know, the way you talk to people who are hypochondriacal, oh, you know, kind of relax, you know, this right. is, everything will be fine. Not everything will be fine. For some people it won't be fine at all. And that's scary. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have just a couple of minutes left. I'm curious. I mean, how are you both handling the social distancing? Are you able to get out for walks or runs or anything like that? Um, are you holed up indoors 24-7? How's it been going? Yeah, I would say uh, one silver lining is, like, I've been on my running game because it's, like, such more of a treat to be outside right now that it's, like, mm -hmm. even though I honestly don't like running at all, it's been made it, like, quite a good experience. It's but, kind of all you can do right yeah. now unless you're... But on Monday... My boyfriend and I watched a live, like a from home remote show that our favorite comedy club in New York 
put on Ooh, on Monday's cool. night. So they did it like remotely. You could buy, you know, like a five dollar ticket and they would give you the link to the live stream kind of thing. And that was definitely the most, you know, the funniest kind of like quarantine activity we did yet. We set up like a Zoom call with a bunch of friends and just had beers and watched our comedians all like doing their stand up from their home. So yeah, cool. that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> people are it is cool to see people get creative about it. Not only yeah. restaurants and small businesses but inner you know, performers and artists exactly. and musicians and all that kind of doing Instagram lives and and streaming. Club quarantine or whatever stuff. that yeah. thing is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, for the last um I have gotten had gotten very into very, very regular going to the gym. So the gym was my thing, kind of a, a, had become a key part of my day. Mm-hmm. And part of that is is that to do aerobic exercise, I kind of need to be watching something, mm-hmm. right? I, I need to like be watching a show or something like that. And um, for the last, as things kind of, uh, as things got tighter and it seemed less wise to go to the gym, I started basically uh, running in place at home. That was my thing. And then for the last week or so, so much stuff was going on. I didn't even have time to do that. And I actually went for a run run yesterday. So that was like my first exercise in like a week. <laughs> um, but it's but again, I, I need like TV. I can't even like <laughs> listening to a podcast. It's yeah. not. I, 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 so I hear you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get outside a bit too. And we have a a small, nothing fancy roof deck kind of thing in our apartment building. So it's at least we can get up there for some fresh air too. So we're that's gonna, nice. Is, is there few enough people that that's manageable? Yeah, I actually basically never see anyone else up there. So it's kind of a good situation um, so far. So, <laughs> anyways. It's a good roof. <laughs> yeah. Kate's been up there. Yep. <laughs> um, anyways, good to see you guys. And and um, I hope everyone hangs in there, all of our readers and listeners and please make sure to write in to us and kind of let us know how things are going in your neck of the woods. As always, talk at Talking Points Memo is the best place to reach us. Josh has been posting a ton of really interesting and insightful messages from readers. It's almost like I've never quite seen our audience so engaged on a on a topic as, as now, and that's that's really why we do it. So that's great to see you. Yeah, no, I, I want to uh, uh, chime in and, and say absolutely i mean it's it's your emails have been it is great to simply hear from you as it always is your emails are providing really sort of the backbone of our editorial process right now because um they're they are giving us insights into what's happening around the country in a lot of cases they're giving leads that we then you know that are helping us report out parts of the story. We're sharing that with the with the larger TPM community. So um, that is, I, I thank you so much for that. It is really helping us. It is helping us um, provide what I think is an important service to our larger TPM community and for people outside of that community who are only, you know, occasional um, visitors to the site. And um, it is important for us for everybody to remain in touch with their larger communities and experience that that um, reality that we are all going through this together. Um, we are all experiencing um, very similar dangers, similar fears, um, fears that that most of us, I think, have never 
experienced in quite the same way. We may have been experienced great danger or fear individually. Maybe you've had a health crisis. Maybe you've been involved, you know, been involved in a natural disaster or something like that. Um, so probably all of us at some level have, have experienced aspects of this, but it's different to experience it and everybody's experiencing it. It's not like you can go somewhere else and not experience it. It's not like you can talk to other people who are not experiencing it and lean on them because everybody is, everybody's having to lean on each other. And it is really a, it's a time when we all have to accept and not run away from our fears and our sadness, but also, you know, one of the things that is really core to life at all times, just more visible and more palpable now, and that is how, how do we be brave and live in a dignified way even in times of great fear and danger and even times when we might feel hopeless. Um, and that's always something, that, that's always central to life. It just gets, often it's not something we have to think about quite as much. But um, we are all in this together as a country and as a world, um, but we all have our own smaller communities that we experience this through. And certainly for me, the TPM community has been really critical for how I've experienced this and how I've had a sense that other, other people are, are, are there experiencing similar things or there for me, I'm there for them. So um, keep the emails coming. Um, we are going to do everything we can to provide the service that we always do to you, trying to keep you informed. Um, but again, there's a communal aspect of this that is even more palpable and important than maybe it normally is um, or maybe is visible. So I just thank you for, for uh, keeping in touch, sending your emails, being there for us, and we will do our best to be there for you. Yeah, absolutely. And order some Grady's cold brew on that note. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, um, also, Grady. Yeah, Grady's. Uh, remember, uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is a sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. Um, they are still delivering around the country. Um, their operation in the Bronx is is continuing because they are defined as a critical service since they um, produce food and beverages. So, uh, Grady's Cold Brew. Uh, again, I'm, I'm spacing them. <laughs> yeah, Grady's Cold Brew Right, with the pr and TPM. you can get a discount with the with the promo code TPM. But remember, more broadly, if you can, if you're someone who who you know find ways to support um, small businesses, kind of a funny phrase. Like often, it's used to talk about businesses that are quite vast. Right. But we all have businesses that are part of our life that we buy things from. So think about the ones that it is important to you are still gonna, that they still be around mm -hmm. when yep. this is all over and find ways to support them if you, if you can. Absolutely. All right, Josh and Kate, talk to you soon. Nice to see you guys. All right, later Bye. guys. Bye. Bye.